Welcome to Blackbird episode number 69. <laughs> uh, my name is James, and hey, it's been a little while, hasn't it? So I wanted to fill you guys in on kind of what's been going on, what's going to be coming up around the bend, and why I haven't been quite as prolific with the podcast lately. So I pretty much burned myself out, I guess, on interviews in August and September, so that the month of October, when I was going to be doing a lot of traveling, I was able to not have to worry about doing interviews and I just had to kind of pump out the episodes as they were ready to be published. So I'm continuing that throughout the month of November. Right now I am doing interviews. Like I just got off the horn with Tommy Salmons. We've got Popular Liberty coming up. We got Matt Erickson coming up and a couple of guests who you've never heard of. So I think that those are going to be great. I'm going to be conducting those in the next couple of weeks, but I'm not going to be releasing them until late November. And the reason for that is I have some projects in the works, including kind of a revamp of the blackbirdpodcast.com website. Right now, Substack is sort of my host, I guess. Not really. I mean, I've got the domain and hosting done by Bluehost using, of course, Tom Woods's special link, which is why I got a shout out from him. But when you go to blackbirdpodcast.com right now, it's just Substack. And Substack is really for writers. It's not for podcasters. So I want to... I want to get the user a better experience at blackbirdpodcast.com. If you're a paid subscriber, I think I'm going to stick with Substack for that so you won't have to change anything. In the future, I might switch over to Patreon or something similar, but I figure there's not really any reason to change that, especially if, as a paid subscriber, you're subscribed to the RSS feed, which means that it comes directly to your podcast app, the early episodes as I release them. So no changes needed there. But if you're just a casual listener or if you're, you know, interested in kind of reading the show notes and going to the site and things like that, I want to give you a better experience and maybe a more more flexible experience for myself as well. Because right now I'm having to send people to different websites for different functions and I'd like to kind of house that all in one place. So that's coming up around the bend and it's going to take some time. On a related note, I'm going to be launching my own web development service. I've been working with Jason Stapleton in his business mentorship program. So if you're looking to revamp your website or even start a website from scratch, please hit me up. I will certainly take your money and I will probably even give you a special listener discount for one of my for being one of my first clients. Right now I'm working on Nick Ashley's website. We have kind of worked out a, a negotiation where I'm going to be doing some work for him and he's going to do some promotion for me. So that's going to be great. And in addition, I'm going to be rolling out a libertarian business directory community kind of thing, which I've called Liberty Creators. This is something that's kind of been a long time in the making. It's kind of undergone a number of different ideas and iterations. It started out, LB Munis and I were talking about it as sort of a mastermind slash collaborative podcast or something like that. I don't think it's going to be quite that big, but it's going to probably be a bigger service for our community. So be on the lookout for that as well. If it's ready for prime time by the time I get this back from Chris at Podsworth, then I might throw a link. But uh, if not, then just be on the lookout for it. I'll probably mention it a couple more times. But it is going to be at libertycreators.co. So if you're curious, you can go there now. As I'm speaking, it's just the basic, you know, hello world 
WordPress site, but who knows? By the time you hear this, libertycreators.co might be ready to go. So what's been going on? Um, it's been a pretty crazy month or so. Like I said, I've been kind of taking a hiatus. I've been working for Thad Russell for about a year now, as some of you know, on Renegade University. That's sort of the reason that I'm hoping to branch out into my own little freelance web development stuff, because I've gotten a lot of experience working on RU, and I feel like those talents are ready for prime time, ready to be taken out into the wider world. And I appreciate it. Thanks to Thad for giving me sort of my first taste at that sort of thing. I've begun really second guessing my affiliations with the Libertarian Party, the Liberty Movement as a whole, even sometimes. I would not lump myself in with the post-libertarians. And I know that the post-libertarians probably wouldn't lump themselves in with the post-libertarians. They don't really like that term. But I do find myself very convinced by Matt Erickson. More and more, I'm finding myself convinced by popular liberty, although I do clash with him on a lot of things as well. He's going to be joining me in, I think, a week and a half or so to chat about some of our differences and also just some of his ideas, because I think most of his ideas are great. But like I said, I've been working with Jason Stapleton and I've been really listening and taking in Matt Erickson's sort of message that don't, or what is it, quit being poor, which is kind of an asshole way of saying, look, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is sort of the essence of libertarianism. And I think we've gotten away from that kind of a lot, actually. So I'm, you know, I'm still affiliated with the party. I'm still even a, a member of my state board, but I think going forward, I'm probably going to take a step back from that. And maybe the future will hold some sort of libertarian activism, if that's what it ends up being. I've also, I've been, I've been reading this book called Oimsville or Imesville or Umesville, depending on who you ask. It's a book by Ernst Junger. Curtis Yarvin writes about it a lot. And actually, he didn't say this from the start, but I, I think it's sort of where he got the idea of the clear pill, which, you know me, I don't really like the pills, the black pill and the white pill and the gold pill and all that. I, I think that red and blue are probably sufficient for the purpose of the pill. But the clear pill, you know, if you do accept that construct, basically says you can't change the system, so you shouldn't try. And instead, you should try to live as free a life as you personally can live and don't worry about what's happening outside of your own life. You know, politicians and bureaucrats can only impact us insofar as we allow them to impact us. And if we allow ourselves to have an outsized emotional reaction to things that we can't control, well, then we are ruled by those rulers. We're no longer self-sovereign. So that's kind of the message of this book, Imesville, which is how I've been pronouncing it in my head. It's about a guy who calls himself an anarch. He differentiates the anarch from the anarchist in that an anarch lives free, an anarchist only believes in freedom. And the anarchist puts himself in opposition to the state and the mechanisms of control, which by putting himself in opposition to them, puts himself under their control even further. I think that that just really rings true with me. So that's the path that I'm kind of on right now, freeing myself. And it's it's I guess it's always been the path of this show. Uh, in fact, the tagline for Urban Agorist, the original title of this show, prior to when I sort of abandoned that label agorist, was all about freeing ourselves from mechanisms of control. Blackbird 
the taglines, I guess, are, you know, learning to fly or learning to see similar to the, the song Blackbird. And so, I mean, it's kind of all the same thing, really. It's about taking ourselves and making ourselves sovereign regardless of who tries to control us. So that's the, that's the path that I'm on. I am not like resigning from the LP. I'm not abandoning the libertarian movement. I'm not, not calling myself libertarian really. And I don't want to burn bridges either because I've made a lot of good friends in the last, I don't know, decade or so that I've been kind of doing this stuff. So that's that. It is very important to me, though, that that I'm self-sufficient. You know, I mean, right now we're in a place where the president or whoever can single-handedly make a declaration that that causes us to be unemployable. You know, I make no secret about the fact that I took the COVID vaccine, but I also make no secret about the fact that I'm not going to show my employer my my record of that because it's a personal medical record. And who knows what the future holds for that kind of thing. I mean, right now it's a, it's a vaccine, but what, what's the next thing? You know, I mean, is it about personal beliefs? Is the president going to say that, you know, someone with ritually impure political stances is a threat to workplace safety? And so then OSHA gets to regulate against that? I, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them at this point. So that's kind of the reason that that this freelance thing is so important to me I need to get out from under the thumb of an employer. So that's that's where I'm at on that. I've done some traveling. The whole reason that I loaded up August and September with interviews was so that I could attend Thad's Renegade University weekend down in Texas with uh, with Buck Johnson and a few other speakers. And then the very following weekend in Orlando with Tom Woods at his 2000th episode, uh, which you can you can watch. If you're a fan of Tom Woods, definitely you should watch the 2000th episode on YouTube rather than rather than listening to the podcast version of it because there's a lot of really cool, spectacular things and and just you know it's it's a lot of fun. It's a ton of fun. Um, I don't know what do I want to talk about. So, are you Texas? I got to meet a ton of people. I just got done interviewing Tommy Salmons, who we got to hang out with. I hung out with Matt Erickson and his wife Amy and their little boy. Uh, that was a ton of fun. I got to eat some really good barbecue and actually one of the best burgers I've ever had. Buck Johnson was a gracious host. It was great to get to hang out at his place. I chauffeured Hotep Jesus around, which was interesting. He was the only guest because uh, Deirdre McCloskey backed out at the last minute, unfortunately. So Hotep was the only one who came from out of town. And I was his sort of ride to the airport and back or from the airport and back and then also to his hotel and in the evenings. That was a bit of a surreal experience. Hotep was very quiet in the car. You you don't think of him as a quiet individual, but he didn't really talk. Um, <laughs> I do remember at one point he got out of the car and grabbed a, a hoodie from the trunk where his bag was. And I laughed. I said, oh man, do you need me to turn down the air conditioner a little bit? Because, you know, I'm from Minnesota and I'm, I'm a bigger guy. So I get pretty warm pretty easily. <laughs> but he, you know, capitalizing on the stereotypes, which I know he loves, he put on his hoodie. He goes, no, man, you're the driver. It's important for you to be comfortable. And we're biologically different, which I thought was hilarious because, you know, it's the stereotype that black people get cold real easily and stuff. And I, I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, it was just funny to me that even in, you know, a one-on-one conversation, Hotep had to make the difference between white people and black people. So that was funny. The podcast recordings were great. Um, this RU weekend was a little bit different from previous ones, or at least the one that I'd been to. The one I went to 
the very first one I went to was in Washington, D.C. And the VIP pass holders got there on Friday and we did a walking tour with Thad around the, the National Mall. We started at the Lincoln Memorial and I think we ended at the Jefferson Memorial, which if you've never been to D.C. or if you missed the Jefferson Memorial when you were there, is probably the creepiest thing that I've ever been in. It is, it is literally a fascist monument. It is so, so weird. Did I say Jefferson? No, I'm sorry. Uh, the Franklin Roosevelt Memorial. We didn't actually go to the Jefferson Memorial. We got to see this big statue of Martin Luther King and, you know, just all this other stuff in the in the National Mall. All in all, it was a great trip. The one thing that stands out to me from that one is that the National Mall was built over the red light district in what or what used to be the red, red light district in D.C., which I think is hilarious and is totally fitting with Thad's brand. So RU Texas, which took place this year, just, you know, last month, was very different. The Friday night event was not a walking tour. It was a catered dinner with barbecue under a big tent in Buck Johnson's backyard. Uh, and it was a lot of fun too. We got to meet a bunch of people. Uh, I ate with Roth Birdie. And if you're familiar with her on Twitter, I ate with her boyfriend who, you know, he's he's been in Thad Russell's th- circles for a while. So it was good to meet him in person. And Andrew, my partner, was there with us as well. Uh, and, you know, and I just, I got to meet a bunch of people, eat a bunch of good food. So it was a lot of fun. It was a little bit more scaled back than the DC trip. There were a lot more people, which was different too. The Saturday of the DC trip, it took place at the Reason office, like the editorial offices of Reason Magazine. And we only had one guest speaker. It was Camille Foster. And he didn't do like an interview that day. He did a like a presentation. And then Thad did an interview with him. And that was it. We went out for drinks and dinner and stuff afterwards. This year at RU Texas, Thad did like... I think three interviews one day and then one the following day and then Buck Johnson interviewed him. And those interviews were great. I think my favorite was Jack the Perfume Nationalist who is a former guest on this show and I think he's been on Thad's show at least a couple of times. If you're not familiar with Jack's show, just look for Perfume Nationalist podcast. You don't want to miss it. It's hard to describe. It's very good though. And then also, you know, obviously listen to his episode on Blackbird where we talked about culture and movies and perfume and all that stuff. What else? So like I said, Andrew and I were chauffeuring Hotep around. We were also just kind of the errand boys. I don't think I stopped sweating the entire weekend. I was lugging huge cases of Coke and soda and beer. And, you know, I mean, we were just going all over Lockhart and like the suburban Austin area. So it was fun. It was, you know, it was a lot of hard work, but it was definitely worth it. And it was just, it was a good experience. I got to hang out with a bunch of people who I had only interacted with online until that point. Lockhart is a very cool town. I I don't know if there's anything like that here in Minnesota, or at least in the Twin Cities area. It's pretty close to Austin. It's maybe a half hour or so from Austin, but it feels like it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's got like a little town square and like a dive bar. There's not a lot of chains. Like I think the gas stations were kind of chains and there was a HEB grocery store, which is a big chain down in Texas. But other than that, it was all just kind of local businesses and dive bars. And we hung out at a, we did hang out at one, at one bar on, I think Saturday night, Robbie the Fire Bernstein and a couple of other libertarian comics put on a show for us, which was a lot of fun. You could tell the bar owner, was very thankful that we were there because she almost broke into tears uh, thanking us for coming. So I think maybe like her business had been hurting or something like that. One thing I thought was interesting at that bar, there was the kind of nouveau LGBT flag, the one that has the trans colors 
and then a black and brown stripe on the side. They're kind of at an angle, and then they have the rainbow flag. Uh, so it's sort of like an intersectional queer, LGBT, trans, people of color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, flag. They have that hanging in the window of this bar. And then behind the bar for sale, they had these little placards that say, don't Austin my Lockhart, meaning like, don't take my little rural community and turn it into this crazy liberal progressive city like Austin, which I think is just hilarious because those two, those two things hanging in the same building uh, in the same business are kind of contradictory. I pointed it out to Buck and he was like, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> as if, as if that's exactly what he had been kind of talking about with me, uh, which is true. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's, a, it's a town that's maybe in the middle of an identity crisis, which is, which is pretty interesting to see. I believe Buck is running for city council down there right now to try to help kind of bring about a better sense of identity. But in any case, it, it is kind of a dream town. I would love to live in a town like that where you're not too far from the city. You have access to a very large land. I think Buck's yard is an entire acre, which you can't find that here in Minneapolis at the very least, or at least not for, you know, less than millions of dollars. But also it's a quick, it's a quick drive or even a quick Uber ride into Austin where you can go enjoy the nightlife or whatever it is that you want to do. So that's that. That was that was Lockhart. The following weekend, I went to Orlando. And so a couple of weeks before the Tom Woods 2000th episode, I got a message from Tom on Facebook Messenger. And he, he asked me when my flight lands in Orlando. And I said, oh, we're not landing until after midnight on Friday night. The 2000th episode recording was on Saturday. So I wanted to work a full day of work, you know, in my, in my normal job. So we weren't gonna we weren't gonna leave Minneapolis until about six, and he said, "Oh well, that's a shame because I haven't I had a reservation at a restaurant, and one of the one of the people who I invited fell through, and I was wondering if you wanted to join." So I immediately went to Southwest.com, found a different flight <laughs> that day, uh, and told him, "Oh, don't worry about it. I changed my flight. What are we doing?" So I it it, it was completely out of the blue. Like I've interviewed Tom, obviously, and we've we've had you know a. a close-ish online relationship for a few years. He obviously was tremendously influential on me. I've given him a lot of money over the years just as, you know, a member of his supporting listeners program. So it was really nice to get an invite to dinner with him. But on the other hand, there were plenty of people there who had been in the supporting listeners program for a lot of years. So it was definitely an honor. Uh, As it turned out, we had dinner with a guy named Adam and his wife, Jennifer. Adam had been on the Tom Woods show. He's a professional poker player, if you remember the episodes by their topics. I think it was episode like 947 or 980 or something like that. In any case, he's hilarious. He's a great entertainer. He and his wife, Jennifer, is really funny. She was in a wheelchair. Uh, she had broken her foot or something like that. So we kind of had to push her around. And uh, so that was that it, That was just kind of fun in and of itself. I think, she, well, she was on crutches during the, during the dinner, obviously. Um, we didn't have room for a wheelchair and stuff. But so anyway, that was funny. Tom's fiance, Jenna, who is just adorable. She was there. Apparently, she's the one who uh, suggested that Tom invite me. So obviously, thanks to her for, for that. If she's listening, I can't imagine that she listens to the show. But if she does, thanks. And then Doc Dixon, the magician, the one who Tom frequently talks about, the one who fooled Penn and Teller on their show Fool Us. He was the the other the other person at dinner and he did card tricks for us at the table. Is the most amazing like display of illusion that I've ever seen. It was really cool. He did one trick where, where he had me pick a card 
and then shuffled the deck and then clapped his hands. And, you know, obviously it was the wind from his hand that caused it to flip over, but it looked like it flipped over magically. And the top card that flipped over when he clapped his hands next to the, next to the deck was of course the card that I picked. So that was, that was very, that was very fun. What else? So after dinner, we went back to the hotel Apparently, it, someone came up and told Thomas that everybody was outside wanting him to come out to the pool and, and hang out for a little bit. So he went out. At dinner, he had been really, like, genuinely worried that nobody was going to come to this thing. He was, he, he said that, you know, his event planner had made sure that they cordoned off chairs so that, you know, it looked like, oh, yeah, this is just the number of chairs in the big, in the big ballroom. It's not, it's not like we thought this many people were coming. Oh, heaven forbid. No, there's no way. Well, we went out to the pool area and there were hundreds of people. I mean, it was just packed. You can imagine like the entire pool area just covered with all these crazy libertarians in their Hawaiian shirts. So that was great. One of the very first people I ran into was Pete Quinones, who Pete has been perhaps more influential on me and my way of seeing the world than anybody else in the in the in the movement up to this point. So it was great to meet him. He greeted me with a huge hug. Uh, we were both sweating our asses off, which is which is hilarious because his bald head was all like just dripping with sweat, and I was just hot because I'm from Minnesota, like I mentioned earlier. So anyway, we we had a big hug, shared some sweat, which is gross, and talked for a minute, and then kind of went off to other things. I got to meet the entire Tower Gang gang, uh, along with Nick Ashley, who's officially not part of them anymore. Hung out with Nate Atkins, who ran for mayor here in Minneapolis. And, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a friend of ours, so that wasn't a, a huge deal, but it was fun that we both were kind of there representing Minneapolis. Reed Coverdale was there. Clint was there. Just, you know, everybody, everybody who's anybody was there. It was great. I got to meet, oh, David Gornoski, who I love. He was there. We talked very briefly uh, and I think that's that's probably everybody who's worth mentioning. Other than Chris, obviously Chris, who's listening to this right now because he is the greatest and most intrepid audio engineer. He also ran the audio at Renegade University Weekend in Texas. And, you know, if you're a podcaster and you need somebody to produce your show for you, definitely go to podsworth.com. I'm not running my Like the Sound of Blackbird. Go to podsworth.com. That's not running at the end of these episodes just yet, but they will be eventually because he does do my audio work and... I'm definitely pleased with the work that he does. Oh God, what else? Oh yeah, so we did. We stayed in Orlando a few more days after the after the big resort that Tom put us up at. You would not believe. So the rate, the room rate that Tom got us at this just really really nice resort was like 129 dollars a night, which is nothing. I mean, the Hampton Inn is more expensive than that. So that was that was amazing in and of itself. But the money saved on that we put towards renting a Mustang convertible for the remaining days that we were there. We stayed at a friend's lake house in a, in a suburb of Orlando. And so, you know, we, we drove around in this convertible, which I'd never driven a convertible before. It was a lot of fun. And we stayed at this beautiful lake house with a screened in back porch. So there were no bugs. There was a pool and a hot tub, just stuff that you don't really see up here in the upper Midwest very often, like a backyard pool. It's just not something that people have. So it was really nice to get to relax and and just hang out with friends. The next day we went to Universal Studios. We did the whole Harry Potter world thing. It definitely lit a fire under my ass to lose some weight though because a bunch of those roller coasters, I was unable to fit in the fucking little safety harness thing. Like the the little shoulder thing that they put over your torso to keep you from dying on the roller coaster. Um, it couldn't click into place over my chest. So that was a little bit embarrassing. I was kind of worried that it was going to happen, 
but it did. And that was, that was kind of the worst because, you know, we paid extra for the cutting in line tickets and things like that. And it just, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not something that you want to experience. So I'm back on keto. I know I've mentioned in the past that I didn't want to go back on keto because while it works tremendously for me and I, I find myself a lot more productive and feeling a lot more just healthy and better when I'm not eating carbs, you know, I mean, I like eating carbs. And so I'm probably going to work with a nutritionist to see if there's some sort of happy middle ground that allows me to continue feeling good and losing weight without completely sacrificing some of the best foods in the world, like pizza and burgers and things like that. Um, So, you know, more on that, I guess, in the future, if I happen to update you on it. One thing that's been, or I guess I've kind of done some thinking on it, really. I, I keep getting called kind. Like people on... Twitter and stuff, the, 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 the most common adjective that people use to describe me is kind. It's not nice, which is different. It's kind. And so I never really knew the difference between those two, nice and kind. And I think what it boils down to is nice is like polite and, you know, does good things for people. Whereas kind is more genuine and personality personality driven. It's more a trait of your personality rather than just of your actions. So yeah, I appreciate that. And I think kindness is also one of the fruits of the spirit, which is which is kind of neat. As you know, I don't really consider myself a, a Christian or like a at least a believer in Christianity, at least as it's defined in the culture. I don't really know. So the fact that um, outwardly I am displaying this fruit of the spirit makes me a little bit happy. It, it does make me feel like maybe I have some sort of indwelling that... I was afraid that I had lost. So that's good. Um, then again, I, I don't necessarily really think of myself as kind. I, I kind of think of myself as an asshole. So I'm glad that other people don't see that in me. Like I, I've always, I, have you seen the movie Up in the Air? It's It stars George Clooney. He goes around firing people, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's his whole job. He f- travels the country. He's a consultant who's primary job is to help companies downsize. And I've always thought that, that would be kind of a cool job. Like that, that is really sadistic. The idea that I would take pleasure in being the one that delivers this bad news to people. But I think that's probably maybe even part of kindness. I mean, you can, you can fire people with a spirit of kindness. I got fired a year ago or way, well, well more than a year ago, almost two years ago now, prior to COVID, I got laid off and it was one of the best experiences of my life. I mean, I, I met with the senior vice president of HR for the company I was working for. And, you know, she let me down really nice and kind and with clearly like a spirit of benevolence. Uh, it clearly was paining her to do it. it. She wasn't taking pleasure in it. So I think I think probably even unpleasant jobs like that can be done with a spirit of kindness. It's just a matter of, I guess, demeanor, worldview, something like that. And not only about the act itself, which which is kind of cool. It's something to think about. I'm trying to think of like other things that I, I want to talk about because this is a solo episode. And I'm just not very good at these. Like I don't I don't like talking to the microphone by myself. I'm really getting interested in mass hysterias and mass. So Barik Legato, I don't know if you remember him. He was a he he's a Twitter or former Twitter or he got kicked from Twitter after a while because he is sort of heterodox on COVID, obviously. 
And he he wrote an article called The COVID Narrative is Mass his, Mass Hypnosis. Not mass hysteria, but mass hypnosis. And it's based on the work of a psychology professor who I've emailed to try to get on the show and we'll see if he we'll see if he gets back to me because I'd love to talk to him in greater depth. But basically with this guy, his name is Matthias Desmet. What he says is that mass hypnosis needs four conditions to be met. Uh, first, a lot of people need to feel socially isolated. Uh, like the bond between people deteriorates. It, it, it becomes weak. So like the United States um, and really the Western world in general is very low trust at this point. And actually you see in countries that are high trust where the cultures are still fairly covenant-based, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, they're more familial. They're more they're more kin-oriented. Uh, you know, I mean, places like Sweden, where you know pretty much everybody is related to one another, <laughs> a lot of those places are less hypnotized by the COVID narrative. And even countries that lock down pretty harshly, like, like Norway, and, and even to an extent, like New Zealand, the people are way more accepting of the government edicts and more cohesive than they are here and in greater Europe. So low trust, social isolation, that's the first condition for this this mass hypnosis. Second, people have to have a lack of sense-making in life. And obviously, obviously in the West, especially in America, uh, nothing makes sense. The media is and to an extent the government, but really the people who spread the messages have made it, and I would say intentionally so, have made it, create an environment such that we have no idea what's true and what's not. And so that experience of the lack of sense-making definitely hits home. Third, there has to be a lot of free-floating anxiety. And so what he means by that, Professor Desmond, I mean, what he means by that is not that it's like clinical anxiety and it's not anxiety over anything in particular. It has to be mysterious, it has to be disconnected from a catalyst. Like I'm anxious and I can't tell you why. And this really relates to number two, I think. The cognitive dissonance that's caused by these institutions that we are raised to trust causes that esoteric mysterious anxiety that we have no idea where it's coming from. And then fourth, frustration and anger. There has to be a lot of that in the society. And, you know, clearly with Trump and maybe even before him, Obama, probably going all the way back to Clinton and the outrage that people felt with his presidency, largely spurred on by Newt Gingrich, uh, if I'm being honest, has really caused a lot of frustration, anger, lack of cohesion. Um, and, you know, quite possibly, and I, I try not to get into immigration, but quite possibly the dehomogenization of the country has played some, maybe not even small part in all of that. So that's the conditions needed for a mass hypnosis, just basically a general milieu of confusion and anger and frustration and anxiety is what causes it. Once those conditions are met, only about 30% of people get hypnotized by this mass hypnosis. So, and if you think about it, there's really only a handful of people who are fully on board with all of the COVID madness. I know that we, you and I probably live on Twitter, so we see it a little bit more. Um, but most people are kind of skeptical of it. And then there's another 30% who, and this is us, who remain, quote, like awake uh, or not hypnotized at all. 
They're the ones who are the contrarians and sometimes contrarian to a fault. I can tell you that there were things that I was saying at the beginning of the pandemic that were not true, not that they, they weren't, they weren't in reality real. Like I was sort of the anti-hypnotized. So there's something to be said for being in this remaining 40% who just go along to get along. I would say probably it's better to be in the, the closer to awake than hypnotized part of that 40%. But these are the people who, you know, they see the pandemic or whatever whatever the, the hypnosis event is. They see it. They think, wow, this is pretty scary. Maybe we should do something. And by we, I mean the government, by and large. And they buy into the messaging that they're told. But they don't ever get hypnotized. And these are the people who right now, if you look at it, are coming around. Like I've got a professor, pro- progressive friend, or I guess they're not really a, a friend. They're they're an acquaintance at best, um, but they are an old friend of my partner who recently moved back from California to Minnesota because you know they're just kind of over it. They're they're no longer willing to get, go along with the restrictions. They were all in on it at the beginning, but they didn't get hypnotized. And I think that's where most people are, at least people who feel free to think for themselves, which is thankfully a lot more people than we're, than, than, than you'd expect. And hopefully, I think at the beginning when all of this started, you know, Vin Armani and Pete Quinones, who I love, they're, they're sort of, this is never going back to normal messaging to the contrary or not, notwithstanding. I think we kind of all knew this was going to be the case. And this is not to downplay what's going on right now. Obviously, I just talked about it. There's a lot of shit going on. But I do I do want us to remain realistic that people do enjoy getting together. They do enjoy going to concerts. And most people do not support these mandates that are coming down. And hell, we just saw the elections in Virginia and uh, I think PA and uh, New Jersey. People are kind of over all of this. Uh, they're they're over the CRT being taught in schools. They're over the the crazy mandates and things like that. I think that around the bend, we've got a more optimistic future than people who are sort of uh, temperamentally pessimistic would like for us to believe. And I think there are probably too many temperamentally pessimistic people with microphones in front of their faces. So I kind of want to be an antidote to that. That having been said, I do still think that it is absolutely crucial that we're building our own tribes and our own communities and our own systems so that we can be reliant on each other. Because that's that's how you build a high-trust society. It doesn't have to be the entire society running itself. It can be little societies within that society. I mean, look at the Amish, obviously. That's like sort of the quintessential and at the same time stereotypical thing that I'm talking about. And so that's why I'm making libertycreators.co, which I talked about earlier. It's a place where people who have the same values in us can sell each other things. We can build our own little society. So again, it's probably not going to be up and ready by the time you hear this, but be on the lookout for libertycreators.co. I think it's going to make a difference and I hope it does. Uh, what else? Did I mention Oimsville, Imsville, Umsville? I think I did. Uh, I can't remember if I talked about that on, the, on this one or the interview that I was just doing, uh, but I'm, I, I'm like I said, I, I think I'm beginning to understand the clear pill. Yeah, I did talk about that. I remember it 
up above. Uh, I've just got a bullet list of things that I'm talking about, and I went out of order. Uh, I feel like politics is probably a waste of time. I hate to say that because I love politics. I, I love the drama of politics. But at best, I think it's a waste of time. I think that probably history is going to continue in the path that it's continuing in. I think that you and I can probably change our own little histories, but history as a cycle is just going to continue in its cyclical fashion. And the stories and the linear version of history is going to change, but the meta history, that sort of wheel of time to use a cliche is not going to stop turning. So I think that it's probably for the best if we stop focusing so much on elections and especially stop focusing so much on activism and things like that and really start improving our own lives and then once our lives are improved, helping others improve theirs because we're not going to create a society that we want to live in. That old libertarian tagline, a world set free in our lifetimes, that's just not going to happen. It's absolute bullshit. There there is absolutely no way that any portion of the population is going to want to live in what we call freedom as long as they're being sold a bill of goods by politicians and promised safety and order by bureaucrats. It's just not going to happen. So that's, that's not a black pill. It's not a pessimistic message. It's a very optimistic message that we can, despite what's going on externally, live good, fruitful, productive lives if only we build the societies that we need. And besides that, you know, if you don't have a dog in the fights that don't matter, your life is a lot less stressful. I mean, think of all the political stress that people put themselves through. It's awful. Why, why do that? Why, why pick sides in this fight that has nothing to do with us? So I... I'm encouraging you and myself, I'm talking to myself, obviously. I, I mean, I was calling myself an agorist a year ago and still voted in the 2020 election, despite all agorist dogma. But if you free yourself from dogma, if you just decide that my dogs are not going to be in this fight, if I even have a dog in any fight, it's a good decision to make. It sets you free from the artificial fake mechanisms that don't need to control you if you will but create a life that is uncontrollable from external forces. In addition, having no dog in the fight means that you are kind of an outside observer, which means that you can make a lot more friends. I remember in high school, I had a ton of friends because I wasn't a member of any cliques. Like I played football, but I wasn't a jock. I was in choir, but I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a music geek. I was friends with everybody in theater. I was friends with a bunch of people from other sports teams. Um, I had a ton of friends. I would hardly consider myself like, you know, the most popular guy in school, but I didn't want to be. Like, I was much more happy with lots and lots of little tiny circles of friends that I could rely on for various purposes. And I think that that might be the best way for me to live now. And I, I think it's definitely worth considering for yourself as well. It, have one big meta tribe, I guess, that you can that you can... Um, identify with and and run to when you're in really dire straits, but also have some mini tribes as well because you, you can't have too many friends. Friends might be the wrong word there, but people who you can rely on when you need it or at least resources. 
So, okay, I think that's about it. That's that's pretty much all I've got. This is a pretty short episode, and I just wanted to check in with you guys because I know that it's been a while since I've produced an episode. So that's that. Um, once again, I'm probably not going to put out another episode for another couple of weeks. I did just record my first interview of this month of November with Tommy Salmons, but I'm not going to be releasing that for another few weeks just because I kind of want to get a few interviews in the can. So let me give you kind of a preview of what's coming up. So Tommy Salmons, that's going to be episode number 70, and I'm going to be publishing that on the 24th of November, followed by Popular Liberty, Andrew. We're going to be chatting on November 9th, I believe, and I'll be putting it out on the 26th. And again, as you know, if you want to get these episodes, you know, as soon as they're as soon as they're recorded and without any sort of editing or cutting or anything like that, then sign up for the paid feed. It's only $7 a month or $70 a year. As a paid subscriber, you get these interviews right after right after we're done. As soon as as soon as the Zoom recording spits out, which sometimes takes a, you know, an hour or so cuz my computer sucks, I'll upload it and you'll get it in your RSS reader. So after Poppy Libs, it's going to be Peyton Garland, who is a Christian writer. I just found her on on Podmatch. Uh, I think we're going to have a pretty good conversation. She talks a lot about grace, and so I kind of want to pick her brain on that. After that is Miles Wakeham. He is a libertarian-ish entrepreneur. After him is Sam Jacobs, who was recently on Pete Q's show. Um, he writes for Ammo.com, but he's got a lot of really cool like philosophical things to talk about. Followed by Matt Erickson, who you know and love. And then after him is Josh Cybulski, whose name I probably butchered. He's a novelist, a, a libertarian writer, basically, who has written a couple of books that I liked. So that's that. Also, I think I'm going to start posting the video of my interviews. Uh, I know I've always only ever posted the audio, but I'm only going to post, and I'll probably do live streams for paid subscribers. I don't know if I'm going to do them for paid subscribers or just put them behind a paywall. But anyway, I'm going to not be posting these on YouTube. It's only going to go on Odyssey. I'd like to get away from YouTube as much as I can. And I'm a huge fan of Odyssey and the team over there. Um, you know, I've got a few friends on Twitter who I talk to uh, or who I at least tweet with from time to time. And, you know, I just I just love that project. I, I'm a huge fan of the Free State Project. I'm a huge fan of Jeremy and everybody else who runs that service. So anyway, and uh, Drew, oh shit, what's his last name? Drew Hancock, who is, you know, a, a YouTuber and Odysseyer in his own right, works over there at Odyssey. And even though I don't have very many subscribers on Odyssey just yet, uh, he hooked me up with the ability to live stream. So I think I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity and start doing that over there. I need to figure out how to transfer all of my videos from one channel to another, though, on, on Odyssey. I will put up a link to my new channel on Odyssey, uh, which is no longer called Urban Agorist. I don't know why I didn't change that at the beginning, but, you know, whatever. I now have the handle Blackbird on Odyssey. Just do a search for me. I don't have any videos up there yet, but they will be coming. And I guess that's it. I'm going to take off. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you again on the next episode of Blackbird. And until then, live free.